Welcome to the Snacks Podcast, a weekly lectionary podcast where yours truly, Scott Jones, will have different guests each week to discern together the life-giving, healing, refreshing word of the gospel in the lectionary texts for the week. All this in just 25 minutes or less. My first guest is Mandy Smith. She's the pastor of the University Christian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, and a good friend. I give you my friend, Mandy Smith. Mandy, welcome. You are my first guest. I am honored to be. On Synaxis. Yes. You'll have to tell me what Synaxis means. Well, it's got a couple different meanings. Like It, it could mean a liturgical gathering. Uh, it could also mean an unveiling. Hmm. And it could also mean a disambiguation. A disambiguation, like making things less ambiguous. I like that. Multiple layers of meaning. That's so what a, is the normal, like use it in a sentence? Like, I don't know, because it's a late, I think it's a late, later Greek form mm. and there's Russian kind of, so I don't know. How did you find Let, it? My wife, Lindy, found it. She's a, she's a marvel. Well, yeah, it's a very interesting term because I think it's, this is a lectionary podcast, so assuming like, you know, every church has some kind of liturgy, whether they mm. call it there or not, but churches that use lectionary tend to think a little more about formal liturgy and, and yet... And that's what we hope for, right? When we mm. open the Bible for an unveiling, for mm. like for uh, for things to become clearer, not like clear about who God is, who we are, and mm. what it means to you know be in light of His love. So there okay. you go. That's the that's plus. It sounds the, cool for a podcast name. Very sounds very cool. That's part of the, the sounding cool is half the battle, right? Sin with or together axis axis. I love it. So the text we have this week to talk about, Genesis 28 is our first text, verses, verses 10 through 19a. I love when they say a, like a part verse. Like, um, <laughs> are, they, are you preaching this week? No, I'm not. Actually, my associate pastor is. We share at 50-50. So I've talked about, he's actually preaching from the Psalm 139 passage this week. So we've talked over that together, but I haven't been in these passages like a preacher has to be. Well, so in, in the first passage we have... Jacob has stolen his brother's blessing and uh, mm. <laughs> um, and he finds himself, he's going out, right, to go, eventually he'll meet up with his clan, Laban and that crowd. Mm. And, and yet he finds himself all alone. And I love this, how the passage starts. Uh, he left um, Beersheba, went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. And what's interesting, it's not like there's a, there's no like body of water, there's no cave, hmm. Hmm. there's nothing. The stone. And he's got to use a rock for a pillow. Mm. Do you think that was normal though? Do you think that's just what people did when they laid down and slept in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, I mean, I think my guess is if you're a nomadic people, right, mm. that you probably didn't travel alone very often. Hmm. And and he seems to be traveling pretty light, like hmm. because he's got to flee. Didn't bring quickly. his pillow, right? So uh, it's interesting because this is on the cusp of him receiving the blessing, right? Hmm. So this is which he's stolen. He sort of dressed <laughs> himself up like the brother. Hmm. He saw. He thought. I guess he thought he needed to be like. And then this is the key. He wanted the blessing, right? He wanted his father's love, which he didn't get. I mean, the, the previous passage tells us how Isaac loved Esau, and. Uh, Rebecca loved Jacob. Not mm. that, you know, like it wasn't even favorites. It was one loved the one, one loved the other. <laughs> so he thinks he's going to get his father's love and he, he deceitfully gets the blessing. His brother wants to kill him. And now 
he go he sets out to you know live his blessed life <laughs> and he winds yeah. up alone in the dark <laughs> and yet god somehow like gets on the with the program yeah it's and he, he sees this it's the stairway to heaven right this led zeppelin mm. moment where he sees <laughs> he sees this 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 he, this stairway to the heavens it's interesting that it descends right like unlike it's mm. a it's it, it probably you know in, in the tower of babel story in genesis 11 they're building this mm. tower up the mm. ziggurat as they were called mm. but they build from the ground up to reach mm-hmm. the heavens and here mm. heaven comes down comes down when he's at seemingly his lowest and all alone mm-hmm it's no wonder, though, that we think of God floating on a cloud in the sky because there's so many images of, you know, Jesus ascends to the sky, um, this kind of idea, you know, and uh, maybe it's just appealing to our own idea of this strange just place above our heads that we can't reach that feels somehow metaphorical for the realm in which God lives, but... I kind of like it, it just, I just go to Sunday school ideas of heaven and earth when I see, read these kinds of stories and remember how I understood them as a child and try to imagine why God is always using that as well. If he, you know, if heaven is not literally floating on a cloud in the sky, why does God keep using these kinds of images to relate to us? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting too that this whole image of heaven and, and after he sees this unveiling, this heavenly unveiling, he says, "Surely the presence of the Lord is is in the, was in this place, and mm. I didn't know it." I love that. Yeah. And do you find that people often are either are, are pretty sure they know where and why the presence of the Lord manifests? So if we do the right practices, or sing mm. the right songs, mm. or preach a forty-five minute sermon, or mm. if we make sure that our community has all the right kind of people in it, then the Lord will be in this place. And then if we don't do all those things, surely the Lord won't be in that right. place. <laughs> we, yeah, we want to set it up right and have it where and when we want it. Yeah, it's always about the whole, like, are we ready for it when it's there? And if it's there all the time, what would it look like to be always ready for it? But, uh, yeah, I think it means being willing to be interrupted, right? <laughs> Which we don't like. We'd rather set up the scene ourselves. Um, yeah, I love yeah, how- and, and- and knowing that we we don't always have the eyes to see or ears to hear. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I mean, what I mean, I just love to imagine actually what it looks like to live a life that wakes up every morning and says surely the Lord is in this place and walks around all day long w- with those words on my lips, you know, and it takes a lot of imagination, I think, to imagine especially some of the places we have to go and some of the things that we see and experience to imagine the Lord is there. But how would we live differently if that was really the case? I love how um, the Psalms always interact with the readings in the lectionary too and how um, this Psalm 139 is um, all about, you know, you trace my journeys and my resting places and are acquainted with all my ways. And it almost sounds like this is, this is coming exactly from our story in Genesis today. Um, you press upon me behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Um, yeah, it's overwhelming to imagine he's, he's truly in this place all the time. Yeah, but I love that. That's one of my, I think the, the line in this story, which really stands out for me in this awakening. You know, he wakes from his dream, but it's a different kind of awakening as well of realizing God's been here all along and I didn't know it. Yeah, and maybe in all of the 
sort of like struggle that his life was and all of the ambiguity and defining himself in the absence of a certain kind of love very often probably over against Esau. And then in retrospect, oh, surely the Lord was here. And as we move into the Romans 8 passage, which talks, there's a great passage about the power of hope. I wonder if part of the power of hope is that it doesn't just help us by looking to the future, but it enables us to see mm. some beauty about our past. Right. Yeah. That hope maybe is we weren't not, able to see. Exactly. And I think Christian hope is not like, I hope I get a Barbie for Christmas or whatever, you know. Um, by the way, there's a bunch of new Ken dolls. And I even, saw that. Even has a man bun. But not as many new Kens as new Barbies, I think. There were like four different new Barbies, I think. There's like short Barbie and and heavier Barbie and different skin tones. And I think there's only, are there only two different Ken dolls? No, I think there's them. I, I know there's, a, I think there's a couple. I, I All I remember is one has a man bun. Oh, like okay. Hipster, like hipster Ken. Hipster Ken. <laughs> Uh, that is not, I mean, there's a whole like gender studies conversation you can have behind all of that stuff, right? Like it's not really about dolls. But anyway, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know why Barbies came to mind. I guess I never got one when I was a girl. So that's, <laughs> that's still something I, I'm hoping for for Christmas. Maybe I don't know. Not that I would ever admit to that, but, um, Mandy, well, I'm going to send you a Barbie for Christmas. You're going to forget <laughs> about this conversation. And you're like, Who's this from? In December, it's going to be from me. I remember sitting down with my daughter when she was about six and having this conversation about why I wasn't buying her a Barbie. And she just looked at me and said, Mom, it's just a doll. <laughs> <laughs> so if Christian hope, the, and Paul says that yes, thank he considers you. that the sufferings of this present time are not, are, are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. And that's sort of the anchor of this hope, you know, that, that we're already in the beginning, the already of the not yet to come yes. where there'll be no more crying, no more dying. So if, if, if Christian hope isn't, I want a Barbie, what is it? <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's living according to something that we believe is true, even though we can't see it yet. Right. So it's not like, uh, if, you know, even though we feel the risk of that, it's not a wish, it's not a hopeful, it's not wishful thinking, you know, it's knowing the certainty of what we hope in and just not seeing it in its fullness yet. Um, and so I love this uh, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what is seen. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so um, that drives me back to the beginning of this passage of this reality of living as children of God. And I personally cannot live in that kind of hope every day without needing help every day to say back to the Lord, like, I'm not seeing it. My hope is getting tired. My imagination is wearing thin. I want to believe that your truth is true, but this world tells me otherwise your spirit is going to have to keep pressing me into this hope. Um, so I think it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful reminder of that, that we, we even need his help to keep hoping. Yeah, and I wonder if the if that notion of there's this connection with hope and patience, right? That absolutely that, that hope makes us patient, and I think <clears throat> like preaching this, these things tie nicely together. This notion with Matthew 13 mm. and the parable of the 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 wheat and the weeds that are growing up together, mm, right? Mm. Because here you have it's interesting. I was reading some stuff by Robert Capon who said that, you know, because Jesus talks about one field, 
right? There, there's one field, and hmm. uh, he said it, he's he's it's not multiple fields like some hmm. that belong to them. There's one field. He says that this is the kingdom. Like the, the the field is the kingdom, or at least the place the kingdom will take root. I mean, in in Capon's words, by speaking only of one man's field and by avoiding any hint of a partial sowing of that field, he clearly indicates that there are no places. And by extension, no times and no people in which the kingdom is not already at work. And yet there's enemies sowing these weeds, mm. you know, in the midst of it. And the fact that the disciples get the fact that there's an enemy, it's like they pass that part of the test. Mm. But their response is where they seem to fail. <laughs> mm. Mm. Hmm. Well, it's funny because it says the field is the world and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. And the weeds are the children of the evil one. And the kingdom of heaven is compared to the one who sowed the seed, <laughs> the good seed. So it's a little bit confusing, but I see what you mean about the patience that's required for it. And um, again, it reminds me of the Psalm, the 139 from this week, um, that the lectionary always kind of chickens out a little bit on the imprecatory stuff and so it's not actually listed here but the end of that psalm you know is like um decide who is right and who is wrong and make it right you know um and so i think we maybe underestimate or don't always recognize how in scripture they're longing for justice we always kind of tippy toe around it and don't like the idea of god really bringing that kind of judgment um, but I think that's a test of how much we, we really trust his mercy and his, his judgment, meaning deciding what is right and what is not right, deciding what is true and what is not true. Do we really trust that he sees motives and the deepest things and that he is even more merciful than we are? And uh, yeah, it stretches our imagination of who he is to really choose to long for that kind of judgment and that kind of, uh, winnowing to take place yeah and uh, you know it's interesting because you you know it, it is mysterious right because when he explains this that there's the world it, it, like jesus is lord both of the world and mm. the, and he is the king and the kingdom all at once <laughs> mm. Mm. and yet there is an enemy like it's interesting because the the bible seldom gives answers to the problem of evil right which when you're in the midst of Eat, face with evil, what does that do for you anyway? But it does acknowledge that there is a real, mm. there are enemies. Um, but then it's interesting, Capon says this, that um, worst yet, since good and evil in this world commonly ha inhabit not only the same field, but even the same individual human beings, mm. Mm. since, that is, there are no unqualified good guys anymore, and, and more than there are any unqualified bad guys the only result of a truly dedicated campaign to get rid of evil will be the abolition of literally everybody. <laughs> and he goes on to say, mm. as the parable develops its point, though the enemy turns out not to need anything more than negative mm. power. He has to act only minimally <laughs> on his own to wreak havoc in the world. Mostly, he depends on the forces of goodness insofar as he can sucker them into taking up arms mm. against the confusion he has introduced to do his work. That is precisely why the enemy goes away after sowing the weeds. He has no need whatsoever to hang around. 
unable to take positive action anyway, having no real power to muck up the operation. He simply sprinkles around a generous helping of darkness and waits for the children of light to get flustered enough to do the job for him. Goodness itself, in other words, if it is sufficiently committed to plausible right-handed strong-arm methods, will in the very name of goodness do all the more and more than all the evil mm. uh, to do all and more than all the evil ever had in mind. Amen. Wow. Do we really trust in the power of goodness, the cleansing power of goodness? Uh, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. It's a beautiful way to end that passage. Yeah. And something that can only be received or not achieved, mm. you know, just like the, 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 the Jacob can't build the stairway to heaven up from the ground in the darkness it has to come mm-hmm. down and and we can't we're, we're receiving the kingdom you know this unsha- the the hope of glory and here we've got to receive uh the inheritance where we shine mm-hmm. brightly in light of the father yeah and what does it look like you know how do we expend our energy is it in growing up as this healthy uh, good seed, or is it pointing fingers at all the bad seed, all the weeds all around us? And I don't want to get political, and I understand different um, perspectives about healthcare. Um, so, regardless of where we stand on that, f- philosophically, I just think any time that you um, set out to tear something down, it's not going to really be a creative. It's not going to be a way forward. And so, even just the infighting within Republicans. Um, in the last week or two that we've been seeing more and more, um, if they had a plan, you know, if they, and I know there are many of them who are actually frustrated by this themselves, that they would say, you know, let's actually create something here. And I know I have friends who are Republicans who I, you know, I appreciate their approach to, to healthcare and they, they want to talk about what to create, not what to tear down. And, and I've really wondered how much I do the same thing in my faith that, um, you know, are we motivated by what we're against? And uh, does that, is that what draws us forward or are we motivated by what we're for? And do we hope that as we spend so much energy and time and creativity on being for something, how much do we have to also be against something or defining ourselves in comparison to something, you know? So, yeah, I think about the, the response this week to Eugene Peterson mm. and, and a comment he made about, what he would do with a gay couple in his congregation right. if he was still a pastor. And, you know, he, he just, every, all of a sudden, everyone was so chronically anxious mm. about some, about something he mm. said. And, and, and then, you know, it, it's almost like, okay, now everybody right now has to take a stand on Eugene yeah. Peterson. Are you pro? Are you against? Mm. Are you this? Are you, you know, that it seems to be the exact opposite mm. of what Jesus is saying is the, is paradigmatic mm. for the kingdom, which is patience. Right, right. And forbearance. Uh, yeah, I think it, it forces us to ask, are we defined? Do we truly believe in the power of goodness? Do we truly believe that if, if we invest them I and it brings us back to the hope that if we are living according to this thing that we can't even see, which looks so weak and we want to be defined by something solid that's more measurable, like coming out and having a big stand on this or that topic, that feels more solid. It feels more like something we can put our hope in. But what if we have to wait for it with patience? And what if the power of those things that seem so, you know, in the world's eyes, love and goodness and patience are not highly valued things. <laughs> so, yeah. And I wonder how much of 
that sort of anxiety and frustration and desire to sort of get rid of the wheat or get rid of the weeds among the wheat, you know, pull weeds rather than just be about nurturing seeds. Mm. It's like deep down, it's like what Capon said, like how much of the weeds are internal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so how often is our, there's this great um, passage by Carl Jung in a book, Memories, Dreams and Reflections. And he says, um, he says this, the acceptance of oneself is the essence of the whole moral problem and the epitome of a whole outlook on life. Mm. That I feed the hungry, that I forgive an insult, that I love my enemy in the name of Christ, all these are undoubtedly great virtues. What I do unto the least of my brethren, that I do unto Christ. But what if I should discover that the least among them all, the poorest of all the beggars, the most impudent of all the offenders, the very enemy himself, that these are within mm. me, and that I myself stand in need of the alms of my own kindness. Wow. That I myself am the enemy who must be loved. What then? As a rule. The Christian's attitude is then reversed. There is no longer any question of love or long-suffering. We say to the brother within us, Raka, and condemn and rage against ourselves. We hide it from the world. We refuse to admit ever having met this least among the lowly in ourselves. Wow. Yeah, which I think is what we're trying to avoid when we're pointing fingers at what's easier to see in other people, right? That um, if we, if that's keeping us from actually engaging with, with where it begins with us. And uh, I've been thinking a lot lately and watching in myself um, how a, a lot of political engagement, and especially stuff that we're doing online, um, appeals to the reptile in us, you know, that survival instinct that is not relational, has no sense of play or grace, and um, that feels more uh, strong and less vulnerable than the mammal in us, you know, which is um, what we're called to be. And uh, it's just a dehumanizing kind of spirit. But Maybe grace has a mammalizing effect. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> it warms our blood. Yeah, it's relational. It makes and, us playful. Yeah, and play, yeah, like, have you ever seen the lizard play? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Or And snuggle. people, lizard lovers out there are like, getting upset with me right now but um yeah there's there's something that makes us want to be protective of of what is truly strong in us which is love and patience and hope hope that um will by grace hopefully make us a more patient and playful people Mm -hmm. thanks mandy it's been good to be here. And can I say one thing to the preachers out there? One thing that I wish someone said to me every single week. If it doesn't feel ready it's okay because you're only preparing one part of it. Your sermon, that is. My sermon never feels ready. And I freak out about it every week. And I wish somebody would say to me, you are bringing one piece of the sermon that will join with what the Spirit brings on Sunday morning and what the congregation brings on Sunday morning. It's like a potluck. So just prepare your piece for it. Yeah. And it's all going to be good. Tim Keller says that when you're young or at a seminary, sometimes you write great sermons, but it's lousy preaching because <laughs> the sermon's not the preaching. Yep, and, yep. And yeah, so preachers, may you preach in light and the shadow of the cross and in the power of the Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Mandy. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for listening to the Snacks' podcast. We'll come to you every week with a different guest. If you like it, please drop by iTunes and leave us a rating or review. It really helps as we get going and are getting things off the ground. And until next time, God bless you and yours. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.